Oh, my friends, I tried to convince Pastor Sung to take this one. Um, and, and you know why I tried to convince him? Because I know, I know how close to home this passage is going to be for a lot of people in this room and in the two other services that I have this morning. So with that in mind, let us pray, and we're going to study the word. Gracious God, we thank you for this good opportunity, and it's a hard one, but we pray that you will help us do something good with it. In your name we pray, amen. So I think it goes like this, first comes love, then comes marriage, then comes our friends with the baby carriage, although sometimes they didn't quite get that in the right order, and then comes divorce. Sung and I have reached this, this stage in life where like many of our friends, we have gone to the weddings and the toddler birthday parties, and now we're starting to get those phone calls. Those phone calls that say, hey, we just, just want to let you know we've decided we're going to go our separate ways. When a preacher sits down with a text on a Sunday morning, it doesn't take very long for us to visualize the audience who's going to be on the receiving end. Of, of that passage. And when I looked at the text for this week, it, I started counting. And I started to realize that we were about to talk about a passage that directly impacts over one-third of my congregation. And so I have to confess that, that there was this moment when I thought, I'm just going to skip this one and maybe they won't notice. And maybe the ones that do notice will be so relieved that I accidentally missed it. But then I came back to the reality that this particular passage impacts a large portion of our congregation. It impacts a lot of my personal friends, and it impacts the community around us. And if, it's that, if it has that much of an impact, well, then certainly it is worth a few minutes of our time in the Word. It's been over six years since I last preached about marriage and divorce in this congregation, and my starting place back then and my starting place today is going to be in the same place. Divorce hurts. It hurts. Even if it is necessary, it hurts. And God knows this, and if you have been through a divorce, God's intent and my intent this morning is not to make that pain any heavier for you. Coming right on the heels of speaking to us about adultery last week, Jesus says, it's also said that whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that anyone who divorces his wife, except on the grounds of unchastity, causes her to commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Notice right away that this is a little bit different than how Jesus has approached some of the previous issues that we've talked about in the Sermon on the Mount. And notice that, that while he once again names what people already know, he doesn't do it with that same extra strength language of strictly prohibiting divorce. In fact, Jesus is acknowledging the reality that, that divorce does in fact happen. And it happened in his day and it happens in our day, and in both cases, it was actually quite prevalent. But just because it's prevalent doesn't mean that it's all part of God's larger plan. 
The, different, the other difference here is that unlike the other sections in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus does not give us concrete steps. He doesn't list that transformative action that we can take to break out of what we've been calling that vicious cycle. And that may stem in part from the fact that marriage, divorce, marriage, divorce, marriage, divorce was never meant to be a cycle in the first place. And that's what brings us to what's really important about this message. Marriage. This is a passage about marriage. And I understand why our inclination is to see this as Jesus' statement about divorce because he uses the word divorce four times in two verses and never actually uses the word marriage except the get remarried part. When we go through the liturgy, for the marriage liturgy in the church, one of the things that we lift up is that marriage is not something that is to be entered into lightly. And what that means is it's not something that you should do on a lark because you're bored, because family is pressuring you, because everybody's doing it and you're of a certain age and this might be your last chance. None of those things, none of those things are good reasons to get married. And yet, yet, a lot of families start out that way. The problem is that the world no longer sees marriage as a lifelong commitment or relationship. Instead, it's, it's just one option out of many options. And if it turns out that it's an option that you no longer like, you just get a divorce and move on. Well, by this point in the Sermon on the Mount, we know that Jesus names the teaching then he shows us what the cycle looks like, and then he typically gives us that action, that concrete action that we can take to break out of the cycle. But since that's not given here, we have to rely on the whole body of Scripture to help us, to help us see a different way. So if we're going to look at concrete ways to avoid starting a vicious cycle that culminates in divorce, we have to put things in place that are gonna give us a better chance of success at marriage to begin with. Scripture outlines that, that there are two named causes for divorce that, that are appropriate. One is in today's passage, that's infidelity. The other comes later in Paul's letters and it has to do with being married to an unbeliever. Well, it would be hard to predict with 100% accuracy, the faithfulness of another person throughout a marriage. We really can't do that. However, however, there are some things or past behaviors that can give us some, some insight and expose us to the possibilities. Does that person that you're seeking to marry, do they follow through on small commitments? Do they attend the things that they sign up for? Do they show up? when they say that they will? If they schedule something, are they going to be there for it? Do they, com do they complete things that requires long-term commitment? Have they ever cheated before? And it's always that last one. It's always the last one that gets to me every time I sit down to do premarital counseling with couples because when we're in the early stages of love, that was a long time ago for Sung and I, when we're in the early stages of love, we get, we get blinded and we want to ignore the things that we don't want to see. And so often what happens is when I ask about past indiscretion, usually it's the new partner that immediately goes on the defensive. And they'll say, well, Pastor Hope, that was in the past. They're a new person now. They would never do that 
to me. Well, friends, I want you to hear, I fully believe that we can be new people in Christ. That is absolutely true. But usually, the couples that I'm talking to, they claim to be Christian in their first relationship. And so this newness in Christ idea doesn't really fly here. But what does is the idea that all of us sin, all of us fall short of the glory of God, and that's where grace comes in. I want you to remember as we go through the Sermon on the Mount, you gotta be looking for the grace because that's where Jesus is going with this. But you gotta look for it. But here's the deal about grace. Grace can't be stupid and careless. To forgive is divine, but to ignore, that's not smart. And having a heightened sense of awareness is a good step to avoiding pitfalls. One of the possible reasons that this passage follows last week's part of of Jesus' sermon about adultery is because adultery can ruin marriages. That is not rocket science. That is not your pastor's opinion. That is a true reality for a lot of people, that adultery can ruin marriage. So last week, Jesus just cut it off at the pass by telling us that there are things that we can do far in advance of adultery that protect us from getting to a place where we destroy marriages. There's a concept in photography called the place of greatest potential. And it's where you're most likely to get the best shot that you are desiring to get. Last week, Jesus gave us the instructions on how to remove ourselves from the places of greatest potential for adultery by making radical changes in our behaviors and our actions on a long-term basis. Because that's what marriage requires. Marriage requires radical action consistently over long periods of time. So that's how we break that vicious cycle before we even get trapped into it. The other grounds for divorce are related to a very Christianese concept of being unequally yoked. And this means that you and your spouse are not on the same page about faith. Jesus does not hold unbelievers to the same standard as he holds his followers. And that makes sense, right? Because you wouldn't put someone who isn't interested in running into a marathoner's training schedule. You wouldn't do that. So Jesus is fully aware that his words only receptively fall on the ears of those who are seeking to follow him. For this reason, it's really important to determine if you and your future spouse are of the same faith. Now, that's not to say that one of you can't be Methodist and one of you can't be Presbyterian. We have many split denomination families here in our own church. But at least, at least you're starting out from a common ground of wanting to pursue the heart of Christ. And I want to be absolutely clear about this. There are wonderful, wonderful Buddhists and Muslims and Hindus, and there are incredibly kind atheists. But for the purposes of marriage, Scripture points, us, points out to us that differences in faith can cause marriages to fall apart in the long run. And if at the end of the day, your spouse is pulling you away from the heart of Christ, then you are standing on legitimate ground for divorce. It makes sense then, before you even get to that place, to consider faith strongly before you enter into marriage. Now, there's also a chance that things could change mid-course. 
When we talk about being a new creation in Christ, we're talking about those who have become devoted followers of Jesus. All of us, all of us have a before Christ. And all of us then, after our baptisms, have an after Christ. Two different parts of our lives. And we've often talked about how in the church, if your life isn't changed one iota as a result of following Jesus, then maybe you're not following him. So we have to recognize that, that the life that we had before Christ, that's a different life that we're talking about than who we are after we are followers. Every once in a while, I will encounter someone who's been divorced, and they're looking to remarry. And they will talk about their first marriage as being a time before they knew the Lord. Always, always, always. Always, in these cases, these individuals, men, women, makes no difference, will tell their stories with truly contrite hearts. And you can tell, you can tell the hurt that they carry as a result. Any way that you approach any of these possible scenarios can lead to a messiness in divorce. Because that's what divorce is, it's messy. I've never met someone who goes through a divorce and then highly recommends it to all their friends and family. It's not one of those, it's not one of those things that happens in life that we do that for, and it speaks to why Jesus took it so seriously to begin with, and why it rose to the level of being important enough to be included in the Sermon on the Mount. It's also why, throughout the Gospels and then into other parts of Scripture, that the importance of reconciliation is brought up. Why we need to reconcile our relationships with others. After 16 years of being married to me, I think <clears throat> that Pastor Sung would tell you that he has never, ever once considered divorce. Murder, maybe. <laughs> but not divorce. And I, but I think, I think... And, and, I, and I tell you this honestly as somebody who has been married for 16 years, there have been days, months, seasons of our marriage where reconciliation has had to be a daily practice. It is hard work. It is hard work to be married. And there are days when we simply do not like each other very much. There's no adultery, there's no abuse, there is no disconnect of faith, but sometimes, sometimes somebody's poor time management skills or forgetfulness or inconsiderateness are just so downright intolerable that the temptation is there to just throw up your hands in defeat and go in another direction. And our culture has provided us with what deceptively appears to be an easier road. Just get a divorce. It's deceptive because when you're in the throes of reconciliation and you're dealing with the heaviness and the messiness and the time-consuming, mind-numbing work, divorce just seems like an easier option. Just cut it off and don't deal with it at all. I started this sermon by telling you that, that Sung and I have reached this stage in life where it seems like so many of our friends are going through divorces. And what we've noticed in this trend, and I can tell you down to a person, 
If these divorces are rooted in anything other than adultery, a faith disconnect, or abusive violence, every single one of our friends post-divorce has confessed to us that they have absolutely regretted pulling that trigger. But they have also said, we just thought it was the easier thing to do in the moment. As we wrap up this section, there's a really important footnote that deserves our attention. Just because Jesus didn't specifically list abuse as a reason for divorce, that does not mean that he would condone it. Jesus' regard for humanity is so high that rather than let his people suffer, he went and he died for us. So any church, any church that would force a man or a woman to stay in a marriage where they are being physically or verbally or emotionally abused does not represent the heart of Jesus Christ. Everything in Scripture speaks to Jesus' desire for us to have full abundant lives and there is no case to be made that abuse that threatens the sanctity of life is anywhere close to acceptable for any reason now look i know that today's sermon is a tough sell and i wish i wish we could just go through scripture and just pick out all the parts that everybody likes i know that it's tough on those of you that have been through a divorce i know it's tough on those of you who have gotten remarried i know that it's tough on those of you who currently are in difficult marriages. And I also know that it's tough on those of you that are single and frustrated that we just spent an entire Sunday morning on a topic that either doesn't apply to you or is incredibly painful for you. But here's what I want all of us to hear. Jesus did not come into the world to condemn us. He did not give this sermon to hurt you any more than the hurt that you were already carrying. He came to save us, to show us that we are loved beyond comprehension and that we can be transformed and we can be made whole. We believe that marriage is a gift from God and Jesus was making it a point to remind us that we need to protect it and to nurture it, even when we are tempted to find a deceptively easy way out. Let's pray together. Lord God, we, we confess that sometimes there's just words of Scripture that we don't want to hear. We certainly don't want to spend a Sunday morning being preached at about. But we ask, Lord, that when we come across these passages, that we would take the extra time that's necessary to look for the grace to look for the love, the kindness, the compassion, the forgiveness. Because at the end of the day, we know that you came in the world, into the world not to condemn us, but to save us and to bind up the brokenhearted. Lord, for those who are brokenhearted, bind us up. In your name we pray. Amen.